0: Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're featuring a conversation about Steve McQueen's Small Axe Anthology, three of which films premiered at the 58th New York Film Festival this year. In this lively conversation with NYFF Director of Programming Dennis Lim, McQueen and his collaborators, including co-writers Court Chanuland and Alistair Siddons, cinematographer Shabir Kirshner, and actors Sean Parks and Letitia Wright, dug into the making of the sprawling project and the artistic and political ambitions that have shaped it. All five films in the anthology are now available nationwide, courtesy of Amazon Studios. Now let's continue to the talk, presented by HBO and sponsored by Campari.
1: Thank you everyone uh, for being here with us today. It's, it's been a huge honor for us to have three films from the Small Axe anthology in the festival's main slate this year, including, of course, our opening night film, Lover's Rock. We premiered Mangrove last week and just last night, Red, White and Blue. Uh, I'm gonna introduce our extraordinary panel. First and foremost, of course, we have the director of the Small Axe film, Steve McQueen. Hello, Steve.
0: Hello. Hi, How are you? we Brady Brunch. <laughs>
1: We also have two of Steve's uh, co-writers, Corte Newland, who co-wrote Lovers Rock and Red, White and Blue. And Hi, Korte. And Alistair Siddons, who co-wrote Mangrove, as well as the other two films that are part of Small Axe Education and Alex Weedle. Okay. Uh, the director of photography who shot all five of the Small Axe films is with us. Um, we weren't sure until a few minutes ago that you could join us, so we're very excited. Uh, Shabir Kirshner, welcome.
0: Live all the way from Antigua. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> now nah, he could he could join us. Jeez. Don't worry
2: about
0: that. He was always going to be
2: there to show us, to show us where he is. Jamaica. Yeah
1: last but not least
0: go on. turn your camera around Make us go.
1: i can't flex
3: i can't flex like that it's a winter around the world steve how are you gonna do me like that
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and last but not least uh i'm delighted that we have with us two of the lead actors uh from mangrove we have sean parks who plays frank critchlow and we have Letitia Wright, who plays Althea Jones. Uh, thank you to all of you for being with us. Um, I'll start with a question uh, for Steve, um, but anybody else can can feel free to, to jump in. Um, maybe just start by setting up for us um, this fairly monumental project that is Small Axe a series that is also really um, a collection of, of standalone films uh, that do speak in some way to to one another. You've said that the impetus for Small Axe was to tell untold stories. Um, and obviously there, there are countless of these untold stories. Can you say a little bit about the process of finding and selecting these five stories, these five films, how you see them fitting together?
0: Um... It was a a bit of a search. Um, I knew what I wanted to do at the first, but I didn't know how to do it. Um, There was a want, there was a need. um, And somehow I needed to do it um, because I didn't see it being done anywhere else. And in some ways I wanted to visualize something which was disappearing in a way. I wanted to sort of bring to the screen histories that had never been really acknowledged. That was so important for me because it was my life. <laughs> you know, it was not my, you know, and, and a lot of people here, I'm showing the, the, the streamer's lives, which wasn't, hadn't been documented, hadn't been dramatized, hadn't been sort of realized. So often you feel that you don't exist in a way, you know, you're not appreciated. Um, so that was, the, that was my first sort of um, understanding of what I needed to do. Um, and then it was one of those slow, slow kind of um, processes um, of finding the stories because at first, uh, uh, this act started 11 years ago, um, when I was thinking about doing something about uh, like one story over, over a period of time, that's when we, 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 we I was thinking of that. Then we, had, we then I got a writer's room together. Um, and then when we had the writer's room together, there were certain, there's certain stories which were definite before we, we, we actually started that writer's room which was, which was a mangrove absolutely the mangrove was, was one of them um, and as as I can remember when we were when we had this sort of writer's room um, I remember I had to do something about a lover's rock because it was my my, aunt, my aunt's story um, and it was it, anyway I imagine courttier and, and Alistair could tell you a little bit about a little bit about how uh, things sort of uh, materialized at that point. But it was one of those things where it was about, I I knew that I wanted to start in 1968 with Mangrove, because some for me, it wasn't about the wind rush. It was about when people actually laying foundations down. What I mean by that is that at the same time as Frank Critchlow opens the Mangrove restaurant in 1968, there is a speech uh, by a gentleman called Enoch Powell. I'll tell you an interesting story about that, Enoch Powell. I used to work at Marks and Spencer's, it's a a shopping, it's a a big, Supermarket in uh, uh, all over London, but there's one, the one all over England. There was one in, there was one in Kings Road. I remember getting on the train, and opposite me, guess what? In 1988, there's Enoch there's Mr. Enoch Powell sitting right opposite me, and he was dishevelled. He was old dishevelled, and you know, sitting on the side of, of of this carriage, and there was this African lady just sat right, boom, next to him with her baby, and what was wonderful about that was. She didn't know who she was, he he was, but the baby was crawling up her her shoulder and reaching out for for Enoch, reaching out for Mr. Powell. And he was like the sheriff, and he was like, no. And the kid was trying to to touch him, and I'm like, Moe, pull the baby down. And she didn't know who he was, but it was just wonderful to see he lost, he lost, he lost, he lost, he lost. Mm -hmm. I wish to this day I had a camera. Anyway, that was a little diversion, but guess what? Interesting story, nevertheless. So please hand off to Alistair and
4: Oh, yeah. It's you go first, go yeah, I don't know. I mean, f- for me, it's, it, what's interesting is that, that these stories have been just laying there for such a long time, um, untouched and stuff. And I, I've always said one of the beauties of being a Black British writer is the amount of stories that we have to tell. You know, there's like hundreds of thousands of stories just out there that we can just pick up and hold and, and tell, and so many people are trying to tell them. So, um It was just handpicking them, I suppose, once we were in the room. I don't know if you agree, Alistair, we just sat down and there were some stories that Steve came with and said, "Okay, well, I'm thinking about doing this. And we went down that road. And I think I can remember, you know, us plotting out at least one story in its entirety that we didn't use in the end. And then we talked about another story uh, that logistically we felt we couldn't do justice uh, in the room as well. And we ended up like, you know, throwing that one out as well. one story in particular, Alex Wheatle came organically because Alex was in the room with us. And there was a lot of us talking about our lives and talking about our loves and talking about, you know, just uh, who we were as people. And that got brought into the room. And, you know, I did it, you did it, we all did it. But then when Alex told his story, everyone was mesmerised, saying, you know, we want to hear more about that. And so it happened, you know. Alex came back and he brought in details of, uh, you know, what happened to him when he was in care, pictures of himself. You know, he, was he, he was very, uh, very some, reluctant. He was very reluctant. He was really yeah. reluctant. Yeah, he was really reluctant. But at the same time, it's you know, that there was an interest, you know, there was a curiosity and we were listening. So well, he told beautiful. his story really reluctantly. Yeah, was a I remember thing. Steve, actually, Sorry. it was really beautiful. Well, you say he's reluctant, but the day mm-hmm. he uh, we said, okay, we're going to do Alex's story, I walked out with him. And he was asking me, he was like, should I do this? And I was saying to him, Are you kidding? Should you do this? You have to do this, you know? You've been telling this story fictionally throughout your whole life, you know? You know if you look at Alex Wheatle's novels, it's all talking about himself and what happened to him. But ne- he's never told his story. I knew it, because I was friends with him. So, so um, and that's how it came about, through discussion, through discarding some stories, picking up other stories. And, you know, the thread was quite, um, it was quite seamless for me, you know, like the connective tissue between, you know, each story was just quite, um, it was just there, it was quite obvious to me.
0: I think it was interesting to me, the story was in the room. We didn't have to go that far. You know, we didn't have to go to outer space. We didn't have to go, the story was in the room. You know? Yeah. Alice, I don't yeah, know what yeah. you thought.
5: I know. I can remember the day that Alex told his story in the room, I'll never forget it. You know, it was an extremely day that he, And we've been talking about all this different stuff and suddenly Alex tells his story. And I I can remember saying it's the best story I've heard all week, but um, no one's seen Alex Weasel yet or or knows very much about it, the the film. So um, in terms of Mangrove, you had a pretty clear idea, I think, Steve, at the beginning that we were going to tell this story and and a large part of it was going to be in the courtroom as well. Um, That's kind of where I started anyway.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And we had a lot of people come in and speak to us about various aspects of mangrove and, um, you know, uh, various aspects of the court and the trial and stuff like that. And what it was like being in Labra Grove, um, I mean, you know, in those years, 68, but, but even further.
0: I mean, what was very interesting is that we, had, we, were, we were doing a lot of research and also with the lady called Helen Bart, who was, mm-hmm. you know, amazing as a researcher because we interviewed so many people. We interviewed hundreds of people, um, and, and we're compiling something later on. Hopefully, we'll turn into a book because all these people were given an opportunity to talk, and, and when they have never been e- even asked to talk. So there was this history of London, which sort of you know emerged, which was incredible um, and hadn't been sort of heard before. And I think again, those elements of of of, of, of the um, research have found its way into. Uh, the um, the piece. And again, I think what happened with, with, with for me at least, what happened with the uh, writers room, what actually happened was in some ways it was a bit of a, for more than a of it was an audition because we had other writers there but for me, at a certain point there was no need for it and I wanted to sort of walk on, you know, sort of you know focus with Courtier and focus with Alistair. I mean, that was, that's what happened. Um, you know, it started off as one thing, again, this has started off as so many different things and now ended up as five feature films. And that was a sort of the the, the organic nature of, of actually bringing this to the table.
1: Yeah. Um, Steve, can you say a bit more about knowing that, you know, it sounds like you're describing Mangrove as, uh, Mangrove was always the starting point. Um, It's also the film, I think that, you know, kicks off the series chronologically, uh, even though we opened the festival with Lover's Rock. Mangrove is also the one that kind of sets the stage um, in a way. It's this sort of panoramic film and it, I think what's really strong about the film is it really details, you know, the conditions that create protest, but it also, it's a film that is about the work of protest, um, which I think is is why it's so powerful. But can you talk about why you, you, you wanted that to. You know,
0: you know, what's so interesting about that, Dennis, is that, you know, Rodan Gordon was a very close friend of my father's. Okay. They grew up together in Grenada uh, in a part of the island called Paradise. And um, he used to come around our house all the time. Guess what, I didn't know that. As a child, you know, as a West Indian child, you were sort of meant to be seen and not heard. There was a sort of, you know, very Victorian way of, of, of how children were meant to behave. And also, I didn't know about, you know, uh, the fact about the mangrove until, you know, maybe about 10 years ago, 12, 12, 12 years ago. Because what happened, the, the hurt and the pain of that it was so great. I don't think people talked about it. My my father talked to me about Roden and this guy, you know, being involved in the Mangrove Nine. How is that possible? He grew up together. That Wasn't one of his closest friends. Um, so it it's one of those things which it's a history that I think a lot of people didn't want to weren't didn't know about for obvious reasons, and a lot of people didn't want to want to unearth mm-hmm. because of the pain. And you could think about, you know, you could think about in the bottom of and you could think about sort of, you know. You know Black Panthers and the weathermen, all kinds of these movements and stuff and what happens to them and how they sort of try to sort of forget and how the children in some ways are, are sort of caught up in the sort of um in the sort of uh how can I say the, the 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 fallout as it were so it was it was a difficult thing to start off with, and again it was you know, Tracy Scofield was really kind of helpful in us in, in pushing that forward as well as of course of Helen. Of talking to people like uh, uh, you know Anthea and 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 and, and Anthea Lequant and 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 Frank Richlow's um, uh, uh, children and and his and his uh, and his and his uh, uh, his, his wife. Um, so it's one of those things and friends and associates. So it's one of these things which is kind, of, kind of painstaking. I think you know Alistair in in his own research uh, was, again it was a lot of detective work. It was it was really well researched but also interestingly. It was extremely, um, it was it was sort of analytical, but at the same time, emotional, if you know what I mean. I think, you know, and that's where Alistair came in with his amazing research and, and whatnot, yeah.
5: I had actually been to Frank Fitzgerald's funeral because I'm friends with his children. So when I first met Steve and you said, oh, we're gonna do one episode about Frank, I, I, I was kind of bowled away. I'd actually met his children a few, three weeks earlier to talk about directing the documentary that they 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 were planning. So it was a story that was really personal to me in a funny kind of way, even though I'd never met Frank, I'd seen all this special footage of him, I'd watched everything that there, there was around whenever he was on tape. And then it was just a case of piecing it all together as carefully and um, accurately as I could really, you know.
1: I'd love to hear about this um, from the point of view of the actors, uh, Sean and, and Letitia. So your, your familiarity with these stories and also your process of, of researching. Did you know about The Mangrove Nine? Um, I, I know Frank Critchlow is, isn't, is no longer alive, but Althea Jones is, I believe. Yeah, oh,
6: yeah she is. She's still alive. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and did you... You talk a little bit about re- researching and also um, how much you knew about this this the story of the Mangrove Nine.
6: Um, for me personally, um, I didn't know anything. I how I even came became attached to this project. I saw about maybe about f- two thousand and fifteen. I saw there was an advertisement, like an IMDb broadcasting of of. Uh, Steve McQueen uh, doing something with BBC in terms of the West Indian community and I'm from Guyana we've adapted uh, the 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 culture of, of the West Indies um, even though we're located in South America but immediately I wanted to be involved and I kind of did a little bit of a research thing with my agent saying what is this I've never we've never (laughs) I've never auditioned to play someone from the Caribbean before or represent our culture in that way whatever it is I want to know about it and then um, slowly but surely um, the news about it and the story became a little bit more clearer and then I was given the script whilst I was in Trinidad and Tobago on holiday actually and I saw Althea Jones and I saw the documentary about the Manga of Nine and, and it, really, it really stood out to me how, how little information I knew as a young Black person in this country. And, it, and I remember when I first met Steve and I asked him the question, like I would ask any director, you know, why do you want to do this? And he made it very clear that our ancestors are passing away. You know, they are, that time frame of their stories being told is passing away. And it's very important that we tell it. And from that moment on, I remember just, you know, I could see the the <laughs> the, the variety of different people in my families, my aunties um, who are from Guyana, um, my cousins who are from Trinidad, um, all over the world in the UK and the US, and the fact that their stories were so untold. And what really stood out to me is how little I knew about um our history as black people here in this country, I felt a little bit a little bit ashamed actually. Um I was as soon as I got into school, the school educational system, I was taught about everything from the Tudors to the Victorians to <laughs> to everything that was not my people. And then how and how we were and and how we still are predominantly um uh, so effective and so important in the in the building of this country. So that for me was amazing to unravel and discover and research. And then of course meeting Althea Jones-LaQuant was scary, but amazing. Um, (laughs) It was just like, I didn't want to mess up, you know, her story and what she, what she, what she was about and what she stood for. But I made the promise to her that I'm not trying to play her or be her. I'm just trying to represent her. And um, it's this, this story in this world and this, this project has blessed me far beyond um, my imagination. And I'm so blessed with the education I've learned um, and that I continue to to learn about so I can teach my own kids about it.
2: Yeah, I'd just like to echo everything that Steve um, and Letitia has said. Hello, Letitia. Um, hey. Because, uh, yo, hi. So uh, because, um, again, being a, being a Londoner, as well. Um, I'm always looking out for real stories. It's it's kind of like my chosen subject. The idea that says that uh, as an actor, I can represent someone who actually lived um, and it's a great story. You might want to sit down and listen to this. And I come from that that place of really trying to tell a story. And um, and I've discovered when I've, uh, for myself specifically as an individual, that when I've done stories as an actor, that do represent my, my mother's, my father's, my grandparents' um, lives, if you like. I've got something out of that that I might not get uh, doing other roles. Uh, I don't know if you can understand what I mean, but I've discovered that I really get something out of it by, as Leticia says, representing um, someone who's actually lived. People haven't pulled this out of their backside this story this is not one of those things where you're like well I, I don't think that he should have done that it's like no 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 he did do that 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 did yeah. happen so um and um and the world or should i say our world was affected by that and um and i find as a result of um playing these roles there's um what's the word i'm looking for it's cathartic it, it's there's something that gets massaged in my brain and in my soul um, when we're representing uh, you know, stories that we recognize. Um, so again, everything that Steve has said and Letitia has said, that's just an exclamation mark on the end as to why it's so important for me uh, that uh, a role like this has even been written, uh, show, a show like this has even, because again, for Americans, my thing is, is that um, I don't know how much you know about Britain in America, really, uh, like the real Britain, I'm really not sure. Um, I mention things when I'm in America and it's not America's fault. But the point is, I mention things and they look into the middle distance like, ah, oh, huh, yeah, I don't know that. Well, we know so much about you guys. I mean, we know so much. Why is that? Because you put it out there. Yeah. So, um, and we love the fact that you put it out there. This is not me having a pop. We love it because we drink it up, we drink it up. But um, I've noticed that there's not too much for you guys to latch on to when it comes to um, our history. So, again, hopefully this can bring people together. It can make people understand actually how similar we are. Because we all understand the differences. Um, and, and maybe from there, who knows? Who knows? Uh, maybe this could be a new dawn.
1: I wanted to come back to, um, I think, what's, what Steve um, Cortier and Alistair was saying about just the overall, just the overall shape of, of, of the Small Axe project um, and maybe um, bring Shabir into this discussion, too. Just looking at the, the three films that, that we've seen, that we've shown in, in the festival, um, you know, I'm struck by some common themes. Um, this theme of self-sufficiency seems to recur throughout the films. The idea of, you know, people taking matters into their own hands or creating spaces that otherwise would not exist. But there are also really striking differences. I mean, I, I, I love that all three films are so different in their narrative focus and in their tone and in their look and in their feel. And, um, you know, that, that seems to be, um, uh, yeah, i, I wonder if, the, if if the three of you and Shabir can talk a little bit about that, about creating distinct films that still speak to one another.
0: David, yeah, I don't know if you want to start with the images and, you know, um, yeah, I'd, I'd start with Mangrove and then see what, where we go.
3: Yeah, I mean, um, it was like, I think it's like very early on. We just, you know, Steve is very clear that the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth is what matters. and. The truth is on the page, you know, and it was it was within the scripts and it was within the stories, and so I think, you know, it was just trying to find like what like each film's identity is. We approached them all like Steve said very early on, like this isn't like forget about TV; these are films, like treat them like films, and so we approached each one like a film, and so yeah, the BBC didn't know that though. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it was so funny because he like like very early on like Steve like came up. every day he's like like, uh actually you know what like don't tell anybody um (laughs) we're making these into we're making these into future films and i was like and i was like what and he's like yeah yeah like only you and the script supervisor and like one of the producers know like keep it between us you know and it was like oh shit okay we're going all in on this um and so that's kind of like how like we just approached it like you know we would we would any any film, any feature film. And, you know, um, and we just went from there and, and each story had its own identity and that identity revealed itself um, as we got closer to making it. And, you know, Steve and, Steve and I, we spoke, we spoke, uh, we spoke a lot about each film before one, but never, we didn't really, didn't really like think too much into the future. It was very much about like what, what the task at hand was. So Mangrove was, and then Lovers Rock was, and um, like Lovers Rock was like the day we, we met up to like talk about Love's Rock for the first time it was the day after Notting Hill Carnival, you know. And I had gone to Notting Hill Carnival and I had just like it was just one of the most amazing experiences. It was like two million people, you know what I mean? And then it was just like life yeah, everywhere. And, like I was like Yeah, it was like, you know, like it was like just like people like dancing and grinding up in each other and it was like all West Indian flags and I was like wrapped in an Antiguan flag and you know, the next day I'm like, I have to go and meet Steve at like eleven a.m. I'm like, oh fuck! I'm I like walked up. in and Steve <laughs> like looked at me and he's like, you're a mash mashup. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was, but like, like check it, like all of that energy, like everything I had experienced, like I I brought, like all of that came to the table when it when we started talking about Lover's Rock and how to go about executing that, and um, yeah, so I don't know if that answers anything, but wonderful, wonderful, wonderful.
0: Yeah, I mean, with, with Van Grove, it was one of those things where, um, you know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, talking to Alistair and, and stuff. And for me, it was just interesting because it was just so humble, the beginning of the picture. And I think, you know, Alistair came up with this line, the CLR James CLR James uh, um, uh, quote. Um, I don't know if we could re- revive it, It's a, it's a beautiful. Quote, that that an, an everyday man could be a lead, leader without even without even knowing. Yeah, I was, I at the time
5: I at the time I think I was perhaps a little bit um, nervous about trying to write C. L. R. James. So I was reading everything. I, I just read everything I could find. I listened to him for hours and hours and hours. There's amazing. There's amazing um clips on youtube of him talking which i'd sent to steve in the middle of the night then you've got to listen to this and then i found that quote by accident just going through a book i think it was facing reality where he talks about how to build a new society how to make that change and it was just one line in a in an otherwise fairly irrelevant article um about how these are new men these are the new leaders and um i remember texting it to you and uh, you know getting a good response, but. Um, yeah
0: it was beautiful and i beautiful. think you know just him walking going from this sort of gambling dead walking through the um the the you know the post-war britain you know with this sort of you know uh the whole idea of modernity the whole idea of this the west way you know even the west way sounds like the space age sort of you know knocking down uh you know um houses knocking down social housing just to sort of make sure that people get to where they want on time in the superhighway it was very relevant to show that at the beginning of, of, of the picture. And at the same time, so in, in a way, the movie for me was, there's a humbleness about it. It was, it was almost like a, a soap, little in a humble soap, which sort of galvanized to sort of this sort of you know, epic, as it were. So it starts from this sort of disheveled situation where this guy is just trying to make a in the war cafe to the highest court in the land. That, that was, the, that was the, the, the trajectory. And I think myself and Chavez spoke about that and how, mm. Apart from, I mean, there's a one-half, there's a second half, but I don't even want to speak about that show sure.
3: sure Yeah, I mean, we we spoke a little bit about it, like, you know what I mean? Like, um, it feeling a bit like a Western, you know, like one man, mm-hmm. like defending, like, like defending his post, like defending his, his bar, his saloon. And um, and it's very much like, it was a very much a film, you know, because we did it in two parts. We did like, you know, there was Mangrove, then there was a trial and that very quickly became one one thing, and, and I think, um, you know, the, like one of the big sort of overarching visual themes was like, this is how do we like fit the community into one frame as much as, much as possible? You know, like this is but the
0: funny thing is, we shot the court first. We shot the yeah, yeah, first.
3: it's true. Yeah, so we, we shot all the courtroom stuff first. And it was like, yeah, just like trying to, trying to like, like to show this, this collective community is like a, a force, a unity within one frame. And, and, you know, so that was something we spoke, spoke quite a bit about.
1: I'm just gonna ask one more before I start taking audience questions because we have quite a lot of people in attendance and the questions are coming in. Um, <laughs> uh, so quick. The, so these are all, all period films. And I, I think you can, you can think of period films as sort of always in conversation between two periods, the periods that they're depicting and the periods in which they're made. Um, and I'm wondering how much that was part of your discussions. To what extent did you want these films to speak? to the present um you know obviously they're emerging into a very particular context in terms of protest uh, and conversations about systemic racism police brutality all themes that are you know very much present in the films
0: um i didn't make sure to take that one yeah
4: yeah no i don't mind um yeah I, i just i didn't really bother myself with that as a writer i never tried to think okay I'm going to make this relevant to today. I knew if I was really, really specific about what happened in the 80s, if I was really specific about what happened in those blues parties, it would just come out, you know? So I immersed myself in the detail, the period detail. And I have to say, for me, it was like really amazing because I felt for the first time, all of those things that I felt was really important as a black British person, someone who I really loved the culture. <laughs> I really love my culture it was the first time that it was relevant to somebody else. So Steve was saying, ring that stuff, give me that stuff. And I was like, okay, well, here we go. And I remember having a conversation about, you know, Lovers Rock initially, when we were talking about doing the scripts, and I was saying to Tracy actually, to say, you know, it's gonna be really, really black. You understand it's know. gonna be really, really black. I'm <laughs> gonna do it in a really, really black way. How could it
0: be anything <laughs> yeah.
2: else? Yeah. Be prepared. How could it be anything else? That is also,
4: yeah of black British yeah. art, right? Yeah. And, and, and oh, really, yeah. like, black art in general, right? There are many different ways to be black, you know? And I think um, it, it speaks of our marginalisation that we, we very rarely get the chance to actually express ourselves. So there's always this trepidation, you know? It's like it's where the code switching comes from. Can we actually be ourselves? I think that's part of what the films are really about as well, in a sense. You know, like, Mangrove, uh, you know, Lover's Rock, is like, how do we manage to manifest our true selves in a place where we are not the host, you know? I think that's really, like, like important. Um, you know, like, Frank's trying to, Frank's trying to build this restaurant and stuff, and he's trying to serve the Caribbean community, and these ag- antagonistic forces come from outside and trying to stop him doing that, you know? Uh, in Love's Rock, uh, it's people trying to find an oasis from the antagonistic forces outside and creating their own space where, they can truly be themselves, you know? So, yeah, yeah, it, it's just, I, I just, I really felt that. And for me, as a writer, as, although I'm steeped in that, and while I, I really believe passionately in that, it's not always received in the best way when you're putting these things together. You don't necessarily get all the accolades and all the stuff that, you know, well, you've you're never been given get. the opportunity to those that. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, think, I think the situation yeah, yeah. is I, exactly, yeah. that's exactly what you're saying is that the opportunity, because the fact that the matter yeah, is, is, exactly. is, that you know, you being you, and whoever, as an artist, especially in the UK, you know, yeah, it's like who you are, what you do. You, you know, but the fact that the matter is, yeah. is, 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 the is the, the platform has not been given uh, to you in that right, way, that's right. um, and that's that, and that's it. But the fact that there's you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you cannot be anything other than who you are, and I think that that's the beauty of of of, of what you yeah, you yourself. being yourself, yeah, for sure. Fuck yeah, who else can we be? Yeah, and yeah. also, that's the
4: situation.
0: We had a conversation today, Kortia, Kortia, can you sorry, we had a conversation today about uh, red, white, and blue. That was fascinating. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you remember, they picked that up. That was interesting, because it, yeah, it kind of leads to, to what you're saying. Within that environment, can you be, can you be black? Within yeah, that yeah. environment, of course you can, but you have no way to go. Can you be black?
4: Yeah. But. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, there's acceptable black, there's black that people understand and they are familiar with, and then there's, there's uh, what, quote unquote, unorthodox black, you know, there's the black where you're, you know, you're just trying to be a human being. You not you know, Teju Cole said this at one point in time, and, and, you know, I've said it for years as well. We don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm black. And it's the first thing you think about when you get up, you get up as a human being and you just, you just be, you know. But uh, I think, out, you know, outside of that, you're always having this, um, these assumptions put upon you about ways of behaving, ways of being. You must fit in, you know, Police always saying, you know, we've got to nudge them back in line, you know, if they get out of line and stuff. And so I think it's um, really difficult for us as part of our culture to just express ourselves and be. And I think that, that all of these, these characters manage to find a way of doing that, whether that's accepted by the, 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 the culture or not.
1: That's great. Um, I'm going to start with a question from uh, Vijay Rajkumar, who wants to know if the filmmakers could talk about how they would situate small acts in relation to other films that have depicted the West Indian community in the UK. Um, for example, Hands Songs by the Black Audio Film Collective or Franco Rosso's Babylon. Um, and if any of these films were, were influences.
0: I mean, there've been so little films, yeah, uh, about the Western community that you know. Obviously, we we we, we obviously we looked at them and whatnot, but that wasn't uh, um, you know. There's so many stories that that was you know the fact that they, they exist, they just happened, but there were so many different things to do. So uh, I hope that answers that question.
1: Okay. Um. There are many questions about music. Um, all kinds of questions about music. Maybe you can just start by speaking. Uh, Steve, just more, music plays an important role and in, in, in I think in all the films, um, you know, not just as a soundtrack, but in terms of how they're integrated into, into scenes and very much part mm. of the character's lives.
0: Mm. Oh, um, well, um, I was waiting for the question. Um, okay, um, yeah, um, it's, it's, I think we, we are music. Talk about being black or blackness or that is, you know, I imagine the ultimate, Way of of, of 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 expression because you know it's about the whole idea of freedom, the whole idea of you know um, spirituality, everything is involved in that, and I think that you know it's one of those things where you go you know back from you know from church and uh, you know and, and and a sense of religion and and X Y Z, so it's, it's a part of, of, of the narrative of black people in a, in a, in a real way. You know, it's, it's 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 the it's the uh, it's it's the sort of it's the, it's it's the earth and it's it's the blood. It's it, it is what it, it is what it is. So that was integral uh, to us, and it was integral to us. For example, obviously in the, in lovers rock, um, uh, in the way of of how we you know again how we sort of plan that. You know, I think all, I, I told you if I can remember correctly, it was it was in that was somehow the, that was that was the narrative. In a way, because it was. I remember you said to be come through fighting, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember come through fighting," but I had no idea that was one of the things that were in in this, like, the, the blues. Because I remember as a child, but I was yeah. at that age when yeah. people were dancing to that stuff. I was, I was, I was about this high, you know, and but I knew about mm-hmm. the, you know, the, um, you know, uh, excuse me, uh, um, uh, chic and whatnot. But that was beautiful. But that we the the the, yeah. the 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 how the DJ how the sound man. How just like to build his narrative is how we built, uh, uh, his selection of records is how we built our narrative.
4: The, the, you know, the dub was the most important thing. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if you can add to that, of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, was, it was, I mean, I remember it, uh, being in the room and, and Alex, Alex brought up the country Fu Fight. And obviously I know yeah. this song, but it was Alex who talked about that being in the dance and then I went back and I said to my mom I was like mom did they really like drop kung fu fighting right in the middle of the dance my mom was like yeah they did like I Mm. I didn't remember that bit but um for me like the thing the key point for me that was really that I remembered and stayed in my memory was the night ending in dark that for me because that was always my Mm. favorite part of the night that was always when it would just get really like just Mm. like I don't know just uh, abstract and, and minimal and all this stuff and that's I loved the music and stuff. I loved the way that people moved. I loved the way that the red light looked and the shadows and all of that. And so, yeah, that for me was the point that I was building to in the script, you know? I couldn't wait for that part. And yeah, the narrative of the DJ was, was key in that, you know, the songs that he played to get to that that point. Yeah. In yeah. Freedom, yeah. I think also that tune, Kunta Kinte, when
0: I heard that tune, I thought that has to be the tune. Yeah. Because it was like a dog yeah. whistle going off. I thought, oh, yeah, that yeah. is the tune. Because yeah. we were looking for the tune, looking for the yeah. tune, looking for the tune. I couldn't find the tune. And then I heard that tune, my needle dropped. I yeah. was we like, what the hell? I can just, <laughs> I <can> just jump
4: up. Anyway. Ring the alarm.
6: <laughs> I, 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 love, I love how Steve switches to, to, his, to his Caribbean accent. Just
0: jump up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. That's <laughs> my, my dad in me. Goodness gracious. I, uh, I love
1: it. My voice goes like
0: three octaves high for some reason at a certain point. I'm, I'm moving on, no
4: control.
1: On. Next. <laughs> there are a lot of questions for um, Shabir's. Um, <laughs> some of them are more technical. And they want to ask you about things like making decisions about lighting and lens choices. <laughs> um, if you want to get into that, or we can also to get a secret. Sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, but I think uh, <laughs> uh, some some people have also noted um, uh, your way with uh, crowd scenes, which I think are very striking in both Mangrove and Love Us Rock. Um, obviously, very different types of crowd scenes, but I think just the uh, you know the the way the camera actually participates in those scenes is is really striking. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm gonna, one, I just want to start. Shabe is some of the best hands I've ever seen. He's a skater and a sailor. And that's his, his sense of balance is ridiculous. That's what I want to say. In that blues, in that right scene, it's just because his sense, his sense of, of, of gravity, sense of gravity is unbelievable. That's what I'll say.
3: Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, t- technically, I don't know. That's like a, such a difficult question to answer because it's so dependent and it's quite you know, some, some of it's quite intuitive. A lot like some of the handheld work, like in Lovers Rock, man. Like, I don't know, like, it's very hard to explain looking back on it. Like Lovers Rock You were in like, the
0: dance. You like, were, we were in the dance.
3: We were in the oh, dance you, and like something spiritual happened. And like, it was mm-hmm. like jazz, you know? It was like, I just kind of like, we just, you know, Steve was like, kind of, I had a headset on, Steve was in my air, and it, the rest of it was just like dancing. And I, I, it's, up to this day, I still try and, and think back on it when, I, when it's very, it's a very difficult thing to, um, yeah, it was just, it was spiritual, you know, it was something, it was, yeah, it was spiritual. It just like came, whatever happened just, just happened, you know, um, and the choices were very sort of like very instinctual as well. I mean, as far as like the camera movement goes and the way that... Mm. We sort of participated. Like I think like that last like Kunta Quinte track, like we pulled that up like four times like back to back. And um it was like the third time, like was like, you know, like everybody was just like, you know, like possessed by the music and possessed by each other. And and by the last track, like I don't even remember like shooting the last take of that, because it was like, you know, it would it would like finish and then Steve would be like Pull up, like come again, like you know, get back, and it would just like everybody would just, fact would just start over, and we would just start filming again, you know. And, rewind um, that. Rewind. Yeah, that. Re- like rewind, rewind it. That. Like pull it up. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, yeah, it's 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 quite that was quite that was that was just like a, a quite a special moment to try and um, yeah, it's very hard for me to explain the the riot sequence, um, you know, the protest sequence, the in 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 Mangrove, man, I just, you know, I just, we just, like, Steve and I just, like, we had, like, we had ch- talked about, we had this one shot, like, set up on a crane, right, and then, like, we just quickly figured out that, like, that wasn't, that was not, like, how we wanted to to express the sequence, and so, I mean, the rest of it was just, again, just, like, just decided that, like, for this scene, for this moment, the here and now, the camera needed to feel alive, it needed to feel attached to the Mangrove, you know, um and, and that's what we did. We just kind of, kind of went in. It was raining that day as well, you know. Um, and it was just again, it was one of those things that everything was just happening quite quickly, and just like, intuitively decided that this was the best way to go about doing it. You know, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's like I don't. I've never really like answered questions like this before, so I don't know if if that's like enough information or not. But um, yeah.
1: Sean and Letitia, do you want to uh, say a bit about your experience shooting those those scenes in Mangrove?
2: Letitia,
6: um,
0: talk about the bit yeah. when you were in the courtroom. Um, you know the bit when Frank wants to possibly um, uh, forgive me for being bold, and, and uh, when he wants to possibly you know uh, sort of uh, say he's guilty. Please. That's yeah. Amazing.
6: Mm. yeah for, for us really um what we really appreciated was we knew we were shooting on film and for me that was my first time shooting on film and and I could I could sense just the importance of just it's not about having 5,000 takes it's about coming with the reality in your spirit like that truth in your spirit and just being ready, and I loved what I loved how I saw Xavier and Steve work. It was like chem, it was like music, just the chemistry between them, and I picked up on that very quickly. Um, and they didn't make it technical. It wasn't this stand on your mark here, you have to take five steps there. It was have your character, know who you are, tell the truth, and we will work around you. We will, we will pick it up. So, in I remember there was a scene, a very prominent scene that really, you know, everything is truth that we do here. So it actually happened. Um, And Sean's character was in a a place of jeopardy of what to do and and the decision to make. And I remember just preparing for this at home and coming in and, and Steve is very particular about making sure that our emotions are not wasted every take, it's like, Everybody needs to be ready because we need to grab this. This is this, this needs to be special. And I remember he would be very um sensitive to how I was feeling. And okay, cool. Do you want to? Are you ready? Cool, good. Everybody set, let's go. And I remember doing that take and I forgot the camera was there, I forgot the boom guy, I forgot everything. I just remember just having a mission and having something to say and something that I, I prayed would echo. To, to our audience members and, and, and would be prominent, not only for us in the room, but for everybody that watches it. And they got it in like two, three takes, I think, and and it was over. And when I watched it back um, la- uh, earlier this week, you know, the, the, the work that Shabier did to, to capture every moment, to capture the shoes flying, <laughs> to capture everybody's reactions in that moment was beautiful. And the same with the riot scenes too, the, the, the same with, I don't want to call it a riot, but a protest, my um, protest scenes, we, just, we were just our characters and they just worked around us. It, it was never the headache of the technicalities of, of, of that filmmaking comes with. And, and we respect the technical aspects of it, of course, and we want to be artists in that sense, but the freedom that they gave us to just be, and they worked tirelessly to capture every moment was was in a sense freedom for us. Um,
3: so thank yeah, you, seemed... <laughs> yeah. No, and thank Steve. you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, like, like I, I don't, you know, I don't know if you you know, but like that scene between you and Sean and having that discussion um, in in the in the basement of, of of the court, like Steve, like didn't like Steve was very clear. He was like didn't let me see a rehearsal at all. He was like, no, mate, like. Like, just be ready, like light wherever you you think you need to light. And I'm like, I have no idea. It's like, I have no idea where people are going to land. You know what I mean? And uh, it was just like, it was just like very, yeah, it was just very like, Steve, like you really sort of like encouraged us to trust, you know what I mean? And I think that, that, like for me, like I went home, like that scene just happened. And I don't, again, it was one of those things that just unfolded. Um, and like I went home, I did, I don't think I slept for a couple of days after that, just because I was like, what, like, you know, like what, what are the rushes going to come out? Like what, you know, and so just processing that whole, um, yeah. you know, style of filmmaking. And, and I think, you know, from that moment on, it was like, okay, like, this is, you know, like, this is how, this is how we're doing this, you know? And it was like, mm. it was it's just something, like it was quite to, magical. Yeah.
0: It's just everyone has to be ready. You know, yeah. you lived your whole life to be here with that camera mm. with this, it's like again, it's like a you know Olympic athlete. Your your whole life has been to get to this point. When the gun goes, there's no you know training. exercise, like this. This is it. This is the front line. I remember with Sean. Sean was just you know again you know you know you know Sean again the same thing was you know had to be ready and and you were you know again the most most beautiful sort of. um, Performance and you know it flowered. Um And you know to trust one's own ability just to be, because so much times one has to react, to act, and just to, to, just to be to to present oneself. Um, I think, Sean you're, you're, you're extraordinarily beautiful. Extraordinarily beautiful.
2: Well, thank you. And uh, and I uh, just just to add to that, I mean, you know, it does start at the top, doesn't it? it uh, this is what I've discovered over the years. It starts at the top. It starts with um, you know people at the top, the director and everybody else, trusting who they cast, because they know what they're gonna need that cast to do. They know, they know, especially as a writer-director. So then you, uh, you have to get the DOP and everybody else that you trust to know that they're gonna be ready. Um, and we had to be ready. There was no not being ready.
4: Uh, you want not allow to be ready.
0: You know what, as well? I think, Sean, I think, uh, I think Courtier and, and Alistair would, 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 would agree with this as well. And everyone here would agree with this: is that we have to be ready because we never had the opportunity before to do this. So when, when, what we're going to do? What we're going to do? Yeah. Don't mess this up. Yeah. Don't mess this yeah. up. I mean, I had, yeah.
2: I, I had, um, I had a, I mean, a little story. I know Lenora Critchlow and I've known Lenora Critchlow for over a decade. Mm. The very first thing that Lenora said to me back in the day was, my dad was a guy called Frank Critchlow. I don't know if you've heard of him. And I said, no, who's that? So she told me the story. I was saying to her, Are you... that happened. She was like, yeah, I said, you have to write that. You have to do that. Someone has to do that. Uh, anyway, so what happens is, is that, you know, over a decade, just over a decade later, I am playing, I have to ring her up and say, Lenora, I'm playing your dad. Um, on the very first day, I get a, I get a photograph of her and her mom and a thumbs up saying, good luck. Um, You know, the point being that even though that puts pressure on you in a way, (laughs) because in a way they're going, don't mess this up. I mean, don't, but good luck. There's a part of me that thought, yeah, I I can't mess this up. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to tell a real story for my mom to sit down there for once Mm -hmm. and watch something Mm -hmm. that she completely understands. Mm. That she can do exactly what Steve just did. That she she can do exactly what Steve just did and go, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? (laughs) It's it's like, I I can't tell you how honoured I am. I mean, to be a part of something like this. I mean, I really mean that because my whole life, um, as I've said said before, I'm answering the same question. You know, these are the types of roles I want to play. These are the type of... If you like spirits i want to summon if, if you like I, I know that sounds weird but the long and the short of it is it's because i want to do that because it's real yeah it represents yeah, like my is, family
3: yeah this is like this one was this one was was way deeper than cinema this is that uh, this was ancestral you know what i mean like yes. this was this was yes. this was like this was like on another this was like something else you know what i mean and um, I know like everybody involved is what that feeling is and you may not be able to articulate it into words, but it no. was there the whole time, absolutely, you know, absolutely.
0: it was there the whole time. I'm worried about
3: and, questions. Yeah. I'm so
0: sorry. We're having too much of a bloody good time mate.
1: No, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going.
0: Sorry. Um, okay. Well, okay.
1: actually, actually to, to Sean Sean's point about casting, there are a few questions about that. Um, Specifically about casting John Boyega in Red, White, and Blue. Um, a couple of other questions as well about that. But you, Steve, you've you've talked about just not just untold stories, but you know lost generations, um, generations of Black British actors and filmmakers and yeah. cinematographers and producers who did not have the opportunity. And and I think, yeah. among other things, the Small X films are just just incredible showcases of just the depth of. Um, Acting talent, uh, Black British acting talent. I mean, each film is populated with like so many sure. amazing actors. So, can you talk a little bit about putting these these casts together?
0: Well, I, I remember meeting Leticia years ago before Black Panther. I remember I think I was, did. I have a meeting with you before. I was taught, I was told about you before by Gary. The
6: yeah, you did. Baby. Yeah, you told.
0: Yeah. Yikes! So it was like you know, people have come, people have gone because it's taken such a long time to sort of get this on screen. Um, and it's it's you know look at the wealth, look at the look at the debt, look at the wealth. It's like all you got to do is like it's, it's 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 a it's a it's a gold mine. It's a gold mine, and it's just the fact that people you know aren't given opportunities, aren't given a, a chances. And I think you know again, as well as white working class actors, you know some amazing you know who are just you know on building sites, the gentleman who whose name I forgot, who's who's, who's a, the racist a, a policeman in Red, White and Blue amazing actor. What's he doing? He's back on the building site. You know, I think the race and class is a big thing, is a big thing. Um, and it limits us in how we look at ourselves. I mean, you know, this is this is Great Britain, apparently. But who are we? What do we look like? I mean, you know, I imagine a lot of American sort of, um, um, you know, audiences looking at us and think, my goodness, did that ever happen? Yes, it did. You know? <laughs> And also, there's, there's, you know, it, it happened all over the country, not just in London, in Liverpool, in Bristol, Manchester, elsewhere in the UK, you know. So it's one of those things which is sort of, um, it's, it's you know, it's just, we need more stories because these stories are amazing. And, you know, the talent is there. So there you, there, there you go. Um, and I think with John, John Berger, you know, John is an amazing actor. For me, he's like Jack Nicholson. I mean, you know, you do all those movies in the 70s. You know, he has that, what, what I mean by that is that the situation with who he is and where he is now and what he can portray is very much about today and the forefront. And red, white, and blue is at the precipice. This is where we're at right now. This this, this movie took place in 83, 84. But this is where we are, this is how we've come today. I was talking to Courtney about this today. And I don't know if we can expand on this in the sense of a way of where we are today, this is where we're at. This isn't a, a, a story. I mean, like, like, Courtney, I remember you saying to me today, you saying to me about um we were talking, you said to me, that, yeah, you know, that, you know, that the mangroves and the lover's rock were a, a rarity and a breather in life. To go to that blues Absolutely. on a Saturday mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. To, to to face up to all the racist rubbish bullshit that was happening the rest of the week, either your job and your life, and that Saturday was a release. So these were rare things in okay. life yeah. of triumph. Um, yeah. And red, white, and blue. I don't know. my handing off to you, yet. What we discussed about it was very, yeah, interesting, yeah, it was very, very interesting.
4: Yeah, no, it was just oh. the, 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 that that's the majority experience. You know, there was the experience mm-hmm. of you know mangrove, where where you get to fight against the system. And actually win is actually a rarity, you know, like, like the majority <laughs> of the time people trying to fight against the system and it not changing, it not shifting and moving. But for me, the the inspirational thing about Leroy is that he didn't let that destroy him. You know, he came out of it on the other side, a strong man and resilient in what he had to do. And he came back to his community, came back to his culture. So For me, those are the untold heroes, you know, those guys who keep on and carry on and soldier on, Shabir said it, our ancestors, ancestors, you know, drawing the power of our ancestors Mm. to be able to say, okay, you know what, I'm going to get through this, man. They had to go through so much, you know, going back to 12 years and everything. I think about that on a daily, you know, like my ancestors had to endure that, but they survived and they survived so that I can be here. You know, I think that's really powerful, you know, and... I sometimes need to be able to draw from that strength. And someone like Leroy, he did that. So I think some people see that, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a failure in a sense, but I've never seen that film as a failure. I've never seen his story as a failure in the sense that he took on the well, system I mean, and the system didn't change. Well, I,
0: don't you know, like, I feel like he came... A... I don't necessarily think it's because, because because in it's what... because usually yeah. in a. It,
4: In a Hollywood tradition, you know, he would take on the system and the system would change, you know, like in a kind of like in the tradition of stories, you know, the hero is supposed to come and and take on, you know, an organisation or whatever, the world and stuff and and come out on the other side and something's meant to have shifted. I feel like the shift is in him and and, and that resilience is what I see every day, like around us, you know, that that, that people uh, manage to deal with what's going on around them and stuff and still hold on to some kind of semblance of themselves, you know? Like, they they come out of it unscathed, you know, on the other side. I think that's a beautiful thing the last last scene in the picture
0: is where we're at right now, that's what I meant. The last scene in the picture, this is not about failure of him sort of having to leave the, well, basically, the Metropolitan Police basically prosecuting for £80 unpaid hotel Mm. fees, which they spent £100,000 on trying to uh, prosecute him, uh, prosecute him as well, for over a year, and basically he was found not guilty. Then he left. Yeah. Imagine. Mm-hmm. So you know this, yeah. he was persecuted. Then you get to a point where he's yeah. put himself into a system. He's done his best. He's tried to in, 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 well, not even integrate. Try to change within the system. He's put himself in the system. Right. And this is not just him as a yeah, policeman. Yeah. This is him on, as in everybody in a, in a job somewhere mm-hmm. in the United States or United Kingdom as a black person, and what you do in a you know racist environment because a lot of those institutions, a lot of those places of work. Are not welcoming, no matter if they say they are or not this is where we're at right now, as far as someone like leroy uh, leroy is mm-hmm. concerned you know when at what next mm-hmm. what and this is in 1984. so the, 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 this is this is the last piece of small acts you know and the last piece of small acts is okay, how far have we come? Where are we now, and where do we want to go he's come to the he, he's, gone, he's you know he's done his due diligence to want to sort of become a part of the establishment. And the establishment in effect are saying yes, but no. You know, and his father had to go through a certain thing as well. So his father is at a certain point where he's pushed it to a certain level and Leroy wants to push it further, but he's seen that they've come to the same unfortunate situation. So what next? This is where we're at right now in 2020, this is what we're at right now, you know, and this, we, this, we wrote this, we made this before or, you know, sort of the unfortunate situation with George Floyd happened, you know, what's changed? And if people don't want to recognize that as a, as a, as a part of a narrative, which is happening now, and only want sort of uh, happy endings. Well, this is where, this is my life. This is my life. This is my life. I live it every day. I live it every goddamn day. I'm a Leroy Logan. There's so many of us out there, and we're doing our best. Mm-hmm. We're doing our best, and apparently, often our best is not oh, good, good enough.
4: And that's what's amazing about the story to me. That's what like really like drew me to the story, and 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 that's what I look to like all the time. That sense of resilience it, it makes me want to carry on as well, and and you know like take on. Whatever it's been, have no been we have you know, no choice. Yeah, exactly. Gortier, we exactly. have no choice,
0: Korti. Korti, we have no choice. Like yeah, yeah. you said, the wheel is mm-hmm. turning. And you know, interestingly enough, what happened mm-hmm. with um, that story with the father? When he, the father was was telling the story about the grave digger, that was a true story because that was that was the, the, the actor was it um, Tucson? Was, was it Steve Toussaint? Steve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That was what his mother said to him. To be an actor, you know, that's what his mother, his mother said to him. So, we pu- I put that in the script. So, it's one of those yeah. things where you know, I, you know, God, you know, you, you know, if you, you can never, right now, as a black person, escape that right now. And I, you know, don't matter how high you go up the tree, there's always your 40s for your leg being yanked. And you know, you know, my father lived and died in a way. Just like Leroy Logan's father did, lived and died. So many father, so many people at the mangrove lived and died. No, none of the men of the mangrove are alive. They lived and they died in a situation where they were not seen as heroes. Okay? Now we can make them heroes, but they were not seen as heroes. People want to champion now after 50 years when they're dead, but they never was you know championed what? alive. Anyway, you know to- what
4: the funny thing the funny thing is about mangrove is that I grew up in West London and I had an older man come up to me and say to me, let me tell you the story of Frank Critchlow. I was in my 20s. He said, let me tell you the story of Frank Critchlow. And he laid it all out for me. And in the community, they were heroes. In the community, they were mythical. People would say to me, look, you see that man there? That's Frank Critchlow, different people and stuff. You know, he'd point Mm. him out to me and stuff. And so for us, even though the mainstream or the wider society weren't telling these stories, we were telling the stories amongst ourselves, you know. Um, I think that's really immensely important that, that we tell our own stories like we are now. Yes, but the, yes,
0: you're absolutely right. But to put the to put them in the in the right position mm-hmm. is uh, for me vitally important. Absolutely, I think I hear yeah, everything yeah. you're saying, courtier I like just I just want to raise them higher and above my head, you know, higher and above my head. Got yeah, okay. Sure. End of story. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Just, I, I, just. It's just one of those things. Like it's gonna work, but just because I live it every day, we live it every day. We live it every day, but then people say, "Oh, really? Is that how it really? Are you sure? Are you sure? Really? Are, are you? Are we not mistaken?" Hmm. Moving on.
1: I think we're actually out of time, but we have been getting um, a lot of messages saying thank you uh, for, for thank, thank you for saying that. Thank you for all of that. And thank you for the films. Um, maybe I'll just leave it by asking if um, any of you want to bring up anything else. I mean, it's just been um, incredible listening to, to all of you talk about this. Oh no! I, I, again,
2: I just I just feel honoured to be a part of it, uh, to be a part of uh, this anthology. Um, uh, it just shows that, uh, as well, uh, being uh, speaking selfishly, that this country can do it. Um, so um, we've proven that. Um, it goes to show that, uh, as we've already talked about, that there is some fantastic uh, talent. Um, all the way from left to right, costume, makeup, director, writer. Um, there's there's a lot of people in this country who can tell a great story, uh, a heartfelt story. And um, I don't know, some, it just gives me hope again for some reason. It, it really does. So um, just honoured to be a part of
0: it. Thank you, Steve.
3: Again. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Seriously. Yeah.
6: Thank you.
3: So um... yeah. yeah, so I've got a bit
0: passionate there.
4: Yeah,
0: It's just one of those things where, you know, you know, it's, it's just the, the sort of the the situation of film and this community with Alistair, with Sean, with Sheba, Leticia, with Courtier, you know, Tracy, Scofield, David Tenner, and all the, all everyone involved in this, you know, um, you know, the BBC, you know, Amazon, the possibilities that, that we were given um, and uh, I just want to say thank you, really. And also, so lastly, but, but not, not, not least, thank you, Dennis and Eugene, because, you know, guess what? We had an opportunity to put these things on the big screen where they are supposed to be. And without you guys, um, you know, we wouldn't have had a, 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 a premiere in, in, in the way that, 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 that we did. So, yeah, thank you for, for that, and thank, thank you all New York for your your love and support of, of, of small acts. And uh, yeah, Black Lives Matter. Well, me I, too.
1: I I wish all of you could have been here for us. Um, showing these films uh, on the big screen to New York has been just hugely meaningful. Um, for and can all of us. we
0: get more black critics, please? I'm sorry. Oh my goodness! We need more black critics. I'm sorry. I mean, goodness yeah. gracious! What scientist? What scientist comes up with uh, some kind of uh, concoction conclusion without other aspects of possibility? I mean, come on! We need more critics of color. We do because people don't. People talk, talking are talking, and it's like, oh, this person has no idea. It's very interesting. We have to have a bigger spectrum of criticism. This is not to say that black people can't critique white. White, white situations or, uh, or vice versa. But we have to have a much more of a, look, look at this screen, this screen is beautiful. Look at this screen, it's bloody beautiful. Why can't we have this? Why? Go figure.
2: That's true. It's a very interesting point. You know, never even thought about that before. Never you look at an apple, and like, I look yeah. at an
0: apple? We see two different things. Come on, come on now. Different points of view. That's the so, whole point yeah, about a point of back. view. And we're we're do looking
2: do... at the same thing, but Absolutely. it's a different point. Of Absolutely. You. You know, um, so yes, I,
0: yeah. I mean, there's so many Leroy Logans in the film industry. It's crazy. You know, yikes. I don't, you, know, like, you know, whatever. It's just one of those things that need to be need to change. Yes. People talk about this, and right now where we're sitting it smells like it smells bad. It smells it don't smell good.
1: I think you should, you, you should keep going, Steve. Is there anything else you want to no, talk baby. about? No, <laughs> baby. <laughs> you just want a headline. You want a headline
0: for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, protect your space, Steve.
1: Guys,
0: thank you so much for the community now.
1: This, yeah. I, I do think we are out of time, but uh, thank you to each and every one of you. Um, this has been very special. We've, we've really, it's, it's meant a lot to show these films. Um, and this has been an amazing conversation. So thank you all for joining us um, today. And you can still see them. Uh, I think they're, they're available for another day. So all three of the Small X films, um, you can catch them uh, at uh, filmlink.org. So thanks again.
3: Bye guys. Bye, Bye guys. Bye. Love you all. See you soon.